I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Move it, Brad. Move it, Brad, bro. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Movie Brat Bros De Palmarama, where I'm looking at all of the films of Brian De Palma's filmography and uh, looking how they fare up against Francis Ford Coppola's career at that time. So this year is 1996 and if you haven't guessed by the music or the title of this episode, we are talking Mission impossible and my guest for this episode is nathaniel metcalf but more on him in a few minutes so all that's left to do is to get movie bratting with the bros i am here today as a disavowed agent looking at brian de palma's dive into a spy movie mission impossible 1996 Little did he know at the time he would go on to spawn a massive franchise, which I imagine now he would look back at in disdain. But to do so for this episode, I will need another disgraced agent. Luckily, one has just (laughs) repelled into this Zoom call right now. It is writer, comedian, podcaster, Nathaniel Metcalf. How are you today, Nathaniel? Hello. Well, as I explained earlier, I've had... uh... I've got, I've come back from uh, COVID from one of my secret missions and I've uh, <laughs> and very much disgraced, disavowed and disgusting. Um <laughs> uh and I've been uh, you know I've I've dosed myself up on some Lemsip Max strength. Nice. And I've uh, um I'm currently um sucking on a Hall's extra strong Cough Lovely. sweet. Lovely. When you when you found out you had corona, were you looking around at people like Ethan Hunt is trying to figure out who the mole was, who who the, who the rogue <laughs> agent was who gave you it? No, well, I think um, I think I have uh, triangulated that. I think I've got some. Uh, I've certainly got some compelling theories to yes. investigate. Some suspects. Some suspects in the in the crosshairs. Exactly. How are you? I'm very well. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this film. I've, I've only ever really known it as, as a Tom Cruise vehicle. So kind of looking at it again through the lens of being a Brian De Palma film, I think 
has been has been has been very eye-opening for me it's kind of one of those ones i mentioned it to my um my son's mum so my ex-partner uh said oh yeah yeah i'm gonna be w- uh, watching mission impossible over the weekend she said, oh yeah, yeah great which one i said the, the original but i kind of explained it about being a brian de palma film she was like that's fascinating you never really think about it. i don't think it, like i'm not sure about you but like it's one of those ones you can just think about being oh it's just a it's just an actioner it's just a kind of spy action film but then looking back on it now it's like oh no it, it's a brian de palma film yeah no it is i think um i don't know we could probably get into it immediately if you want and then um but what? like it kind of is like when i when that when that movie came out i was 17 and it was probably the first Brian De Palma film, I went to see it the cinema knowing what a Brian De Palma film was mm-hmm. and being like, and I was kind of really up for it. I was very <laughs> excited by the idea of uh, Brian De Palma's uh, Mission Impossible. Well, and that's what, like, they, it, it felt like, it's funny because it is, like you say, it's a different franchise now. Like, it doesn't feel like um, what it is now, not what it was in 1996. But, it is a. It was always a franchise that obviously Tom Cruise was behind from the start. Mm-hmm. He was producing it, um, and it always felt like it was trying to be like a prestige action movie. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it didn't feel like trash. Um, and a, a lot of things at the time, I think, would have been seen as anything that would have been like a um, a film adaptation of a TV series also was quite looked down upon yeah. but they were starting to they were starting to crop up and i think the only one that would have been seen to have worked was the untouchables and i think there was the the idea was very much like well if we get the guy who did the untouchables <laughs> to do it uh, which is it because it, the untouchables again is like that's a 50s tv show mm-hmm. so at that time that's like a Brian De Palma's basically done the only TV adaptation that worked up until 1996. <laughs> so that was the point. And it was not only did it work, it was like it had become this sort of massive, yeah. great movie that everyone had kind of pretty much acknowledged, gone, we've, we've sort of nailed it with the Untouchables. So they wanted, you know, they, they like it would have been, De Palma would have been your number one choice, I think, to have done Mission Impossible. In the, and I guess, um, and I guess in his own career, it wasn't like he wasn't doing badly at the time either. This was quite a, um, I'm sure it was a job for him, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a high profile job, you know, it was, and it would have been something that wouldn't have been, um, I'm sure he was well paid for it. And well, yeah, the, um, I think looking, this is the, like the second highest budget he ever got to work with. So, like the the highest budget being Mission to Mars, mm. two years later, which really does feel like Brian De Palma maybe on a job for hire when it came to that. Like, um, mm. and I recently listened to an interview for him, and he talked about like a, a fellow movie brat in uh, Steven Spielberg saying, like, what he did right was make three Jurassic Park films, so he could make whatever he wanted after that. And it kind of feels like Brian De Palma might have had that opportunity with uh, Mission Impossible to kind of like, if he had done like a trilogy, he like, we could have been, we could be talking about like Brian De Palma in a, 
a very different light today. He could have gone on to be like, make make whatever the fuck you want, Brian. Do you know what I mean? You kind of want to make, mm. uh, I don't know, body double like in <laughs> in the 2000s. Do you know what I mean? Instead of these kind of like Euro-financed thrillers that he's kind of like, I don't, don't want to say settled upon, but kind of like he's, he's, out, he's well outside the Hollywood system, right? He is, but he's also, the films he's making, they do feel like Brian De Palma movies. They just feel like, you know, they do feel like you, they are low-budget Brian De Palma movies. But everything about them is still like, you do, you can just imagine, it's like, if they had a bit more money, it would look a bit more like that. Mm-hmm. That's what it always, it always feels like. His default is like, is and always was, I think, uh, is to make whatever Brian De Palma movies are. Yeah. Um, and he has this thing. The only time I think he's raw, and what I mean by that, I kind of like his sort of uh, thrillers. Um, but the thing, the films of his that I think are the most like bizarre are when he makes like every sort of fourth or fifth film he makes, he has this idea again that he wants to make another comedy. And they're always the ones where I go, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the bad ones for me. But I love all the thrillers are kind of, I, I, I kind of love them. Yeah. So, so what you're Even telling me I, is you're not a massive fan of Bonfire of the Vanity. Is that what you're telling uh, the I, I'd rather have Bonfire of the Vanities than Wise Guys. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I'd have it over <laughs> something like that for sure. Uh, Bonfire of the Vanities is just a bit of a, like, it's, it, it's, it's not that awful, but I've never read the book. But it's not like, it's just one of those films where you just, it's just a not very good film. Whereas it's kind of interesting because it has got this, it does feel like it's a, it's got a real timestamp on it mm-hmm. from when it was made. So it's kind of like, it's not, you know, if, if someone else had made it, it would still be like kind of watchable. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Wise Guys has, um, is just like a bad comedy. He, and I don't think he's good at comedy. <laughs> I think, which is weak, I think there's funny stuff in all his movies. But when he does comedy, it's just like it's, he's got a real, I don't know. It's like, I, and, and for some, he does it so often for someone who you think doesn't really have any talent in it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, and I find that quite interesting. But for, for, for like somebody who is very precise in what he's doing, like, he, mm. he, he, like, he kind of like it looks like he has his shots laid out like yeah. precision like the amount he uses like tracking shots and kind of dutch angles and split diopter like he knows what he wants to get out of a film i look at a film like body double and that film makes me like like split at the sides laughing like there's a specific moment when um there's that kind of classic brian de palma spiraling shot around of yeah. uh the, the the lead character and the kind of femme fatale or like the the, the woman he's trailing and they like kiss on the beach and yeah. it is like he must have known that that was funny because it is like it is absurd in the kind of like it, it it's like brian de palma is pastiching brian yeah. de palma in that moment and he kind of does it with such like gusto and oomph that it, it's hilarious no, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of it where it's, yeah, that's what it, it's almost like in his thrillers, he can do these kind of like jokes. 
jokes, yeah. quite high-end jokes that are, yeah, like pastiches and and things that are kind of self-referential. And they're sort of funny and they're amusing because it does feel like it's someone who's, again, is just sort of showing you how much control they have over everything. And it, there's a bit of a wink to camera. And they're clever, whereas I think the comedy just never feels like that. It always feels like, even though there's bits, even in something like Wise Guys, there's bits of it where you have bits in something like that where um, there's, a, there's a scene in it with a, with a car bomb and that is filmed. And then suddenly it goes into like, you just get a proper kind of kaba- uh, the, the Palma sequence for sort of like 30 seconds in the middle of this quite kind of <laughs> lame comedy. And you go, well, there you go. Yeah. Suddenly you get this little moment where he's like, oh, no, I'm still, I'm still pulling all the strings. You know, I've, uh, you know, I'm still Brian De Palma. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, Wise Guys is a film that I'm finding very hard to track down on physical media i've kind of got like a little shelf of brian de palma films uh, a recent arrow sale really helped me out in kind of getting a lot of them and then wise guys i think i've managed to find it as like a two-pack dvd that must have come out at the kind of the advent of dvd and again it's like 15 quid for like a two-pack and i'm kind of feeling like is it going to be worth it it's one of those films that doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be you can even purchase it digitally but i know i'm gonna to have to i'm gonna to have to bite the bullet at some point and buy that one so um we've obviously talked to, uh, around brian de palma and some things but what would have been the first brian de palma film you reckon you would have seen i think it probably was the untouchables i wouldn't have known it was a brian de palma film mm-hmm. but i remember in primary school kids talking about the untouchables and it even and it was a it was a 15 so i wasn't able to see it but like i do remember kids talking about it and talking about scenes from it and uh, especially like the as I said, the big one was the the scene where uh, uh connery is shot yeah. is essentially what well, the big which is then and it's funny that i think one of the great things about the palm actually is that he really does make scenes in a way that are real scenes, mm-hmm. so much so that they are quoted by kids. Mm-hmm. Where like the, the, as the, as like it would be a thing where it's like then this happens and then we see this and then we see this. So you are like even when kids are discussing it, you are putting the images together in your head. So you're doing the director's job, and he is like like he's doing that visual sort of filmmaking in a way that like little kids understand they understand the tricks they understand the kind of assembly of what he's doing and it's like and then you see this but you see it from his point of view mm-hmm. and when it comes back you see it and then it's from and it's that that idea and that like and pov is one of those things where it is a concept it's like within filmmaking that a little kid understands implicitly mm-hmm it's just so all that idea. So I remember it being described to me the the sort of death scene of Sean Connery and becoming kind of, you know, obsessed. And they'll just be like, <laughs> is that when this that's what happens and that's the scene you're waiting for? I, and I remember I would have seen it quite soon afterwards on VHS, I think, when it came out to came out to rent. I remember being on holiday. We didn't used to have a video, but when we were on holiday, we'd sometimes hire one. And I, I remember watching it. So I guess 
in the school holidays watching the Untouchables and for the first time. It being a, it had been like one of those things where it was a film my dad would have been watching as well. Yeah, it got it, so it was a kind of like oh yeah, it's like a proper film, <laughs> but it's exciting enough that you know at, at ten I would be like I'm absolutely up for this. You know, this is. Uh, well, there's that scene he kind of lifts straight from, is it Battleship Potemkin with the Odessa mm. steps? And, like, that, I think, like, even, like, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, a few, I'm, I'm a few years younger than you, but, like, that, like, e- even before seeing The Untouchables, I knew that scene. Like, mm-hmm. and, like, I think because it's kind of been pastiched and kind of, like, it's, e- e- even in, like, uh, uh, the one witches. of the naked gun movies do it yeah naked gun well. like even like there's like a kind of riff on it in the witches where like angelica houston like pushes a pram down a hill and yeah um what's his name uh nicholas rogues like adaptation of the witches and stuff like that and it's like it's just like ingrained into your mind and then like you kind hmm. of go back and you're like oh. I mean, it's another thing it's 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 really simple it's that um it's very kid logic like it's like a saying, like he can say, like, what is it? Oh, there's a pram with a baby in it. Uh it's going downstairs. Uh no one's gonna stop it. Meanwhile, there's a gunfight happening. <laughs> uh in between and it's it's that idea is such a kind of like, got it. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? There's no um there's nothing difficult about it. Mm-hmm. Like the the um the jeopardy of the situation is pretty obvious. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> You can't have a baby um, <laughs> in a pram falling downstairs while a gunfight is happening. <laughs> Just, you know, it's uh, it's all pretty obvious. It's all pretty kind of out there. There's nothing, you know, you know, mm-hmm. as an audience, you yeah. know what you're supposed to think at that point. There's some childlike logic in Mission Impossible in the way that, like, it would make a child's, like, heart skip at the kind of things you see on it but before we get to that i always like to ask my guests kind of what do you see as the tropes of a brian de palma film like what are the kind of ticks that he kind of falls upon what are the things that you almost expect to see in a brian de palma film uh pov mm-hmm. um um uh, something like a, a scene that you see again from a different angle yes um uh um dutch angles <laughs> i mean i'm actually thinking of it in terms of mission impossible it's all big ticks all big ticks yeah so so, so I, I i guess some other ones would be the split diopter which like mm-hmm. r- recently on um copla connections the the sister podcast of this I watched The Outsiders again, kind of uh, covered that film. And then watching it, I, I was like, oh, who's this DOP? Because that film is littered with Split Doctor. And then it's Stephen H. Burham. And I was like, he must, like, he must have already worked with De Palma. Do you know what I mean? He must have been the DOP on Carrie or at least like uh, Blowout or something. And then it turns out after that film, so from like Body Double onwards, he is De Palma's go-to guy. So I love that kind of like, I don't know, like um, thing where it's like, who inspired who here? Do you know what I mean? Did, did, did he put in the split diopter and stuff like that and the kind of 
Dutch angles in the Outsiders because of De Palma? Or did De Palma really lead into it and be like, this is going to be like uh, real ticks of mine in my movies going forward. And I'm going to work yeah. with the guy who Francis Ford Coppola like, worked with on, on that film. Um, oh, that's interesting, actually. I didn't know that. I've never seen The Outsiders. I, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a fantastic, it's a fantastic film. And uh, I guess links links perfectly to this film because it is one of the first screen uh, performances from Tom Cruise. So yeah, yeah, you can you can you can look at that film as either thanking or blaming Francis Ford Coppola for the <laughs> film career of Tom Cruise. Um, the other thing I always think it's that's really present in Mission Impossible and in most other films, and like in those really early ones, in those early comedies, you've got a guy who's talking about you know the Kennedy assassination, and it feels like for that generation, it's obviously just absolutely haunts them and especially someone like the palmer where it's like even if it's not necessarily dealing with that conspiracy itself mm -hmm. it's like in all his films there's something which is like either slightly based on it or there's that idea that there is this internal conspiracy mm -hmm. um and this has got this is all about that and it's it's you know for a film that's kind of about trust uh Everyone Ethan Hunt trusts in this film, it basically like lets him down, and yet, yet that's not really the. It's it's almost got nothing to do with the plot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's another version of this where everyone is a spy, where everyone lies to him, <laughs> um, except at the end he's kind of a bit like, huh, guess that's how it is. What's the next mission? <laughs> you know, it's like it's that. You know, there's another version of this film where. You know everything that he's he, he's been working towards, like this this um, and buying into this you know top secret spy organization. At the end of it, you can kind of come down to the idea. It's like, oh right, well, you know, <laughs> everyone's a traitor. Mm -hmm. Oh well, you know, I'll just get <laughs> on with it and keep going. Um, I don't know if the idea is that by the end, you know, or not even by the end, by you know. 25 minutes in he's pretty much the only person left within the organization so you can go well i guess now it's mine mm -hmm. so i've got to trust myself and i can and when you look at it that way it's quite a clever way of building up a franchise because it is from that point on he's the boss and he's picking all the people so yes. he's he's now in charge well and it's that thing that like you can you can roll a franchise on going like the the side men, the kind of the other people are somewhat disposable. Ethan Hunt can kind of like call upon, I'm sure there's a massive list of disavowed agents or if he's yeah. back in, back in the fold, there's, there's, there's a, there's a ton of agents he can kind of call upon to be his tech guy and his kind of muscle and stuff like that. And his, his, his woman sneaking in and kind of using her charms to, to get where they need to go or whatever. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a great, uh, it's a great device that De Palma basically serves them up the the mm. perfect formula for a franchise moving forward. Yeah, I don't think he knew what he was like. That was the case at the time. No. So I imagine there wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, I don't know, franchise mania back in nineteen ninety six, was it? They kind of like mm. films were just made, and it would be like, here's a here's a film. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like there's gonna be ten of these. Do you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> 
before. And the franchise would have been at the time was just that there's a TV, there's a movie of the TV show everyone yeah. remembers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the franchise, you know. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Oh, we've done a we've done a TV show of it. I think it's like, I think it's a really good movie for that. I think it, it's got so much, um, you know, as someone I was, a, I think at the time they would have been repeating Mission Impossible on Channel Four, and even at like seventeen, when I was a bit sort of, you know cynical or something when they were on i'd be like this is a good show you know, these sort of 60s and there were sort of odd silly bits about it but i was going it's good it's not like it's <laughs> it's a really good show i loved it and i really loved that it you know it had the same had uh, jim phelps was brought in mm-hmm. and he, i love that it has this sort of continuity between it um, and it is the idea that it has just been you know these have just adventures have been carrying on and as these actors have been aged out, they've just been replaced by younger agents for the past sort of 25 years. Yeah, yeah. And that's but essentially the Mission Impossible, the IMF has been carrying mm-hmm. on all this time. And, I, and it was a really neat kind of very satisfying kind of a, a sequel to that TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah perfect. Right. Um, I'm, glad you've, I'm was, glad you've seen the TV series because I... I I didn't have I didn't have the time to kind of I, I've I've seen the box set of that series and it looks bummer like even to kind of like uh, delve into a couple of episodes I would have been I would have been like uh, daunted by that being like where where do I start do I start at the beginning do I have to watch all of it yeah. so, is that an episode just to duck into or whatever it must have run for yeah it must have run for ten years as well it was a it was a real long running yeah um, show and it it really worked you know I don't know. I don't know if there was a time where it went off the boil, but I remember like when they were repeating it. Um, I remember being like they'd have them on every night, and I remember always being like really entertained. But because it is, it's the, the thing is they're setting up um, an impossible mission, yeah. so it's like nah. <laughs> nah. So it'll be, and, and you know it'll be like we'll bring in um, a stage magician to, <laughs> who's one of them, who's a spy, but he's also a stage magician. And it's always like, great, 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 I love all this. <laughs> and it'll be like, we've got a circus strongman and we've got this, we've got this. And it's, so you, the team that they build up is always like, brilliant. Right, this is how we're going to do it. And then it plays out the heist, you know, that's yeah. what the, the show is. It, it, it's such a kind of clever way of doing it. And, and I think as a, I think, you know, I think Tom Cruise was certainly aware of wanting it to be a franchise and wanting it to, to do sequels but i think his big thing was that he wanted it classy mm-hmm. i think it's you know robert town as well robert town wrote mission impossible well, well yeah let's let, let, let let's talk about some stats of this film so it was released in uh 1996 on may 22nd in the u.s and july 5th in the uk the budget was 80 million dollars and grossed 456.7 million dollars so that's a that's a, that's a tidy return on, on that film. It stars, obviously, Tom Cruise, John Voight, Ving Rhames, Emmanuel Burt, Vanessa Redgrave, Jean Renault, uh, my, uh, what's his name, uh, Medio Estevez, Christian Scott Thomas. The cast is, it's a real, it's a real stacked, it's a real stacked cast for this film. So, um, yeah, let's let let let's talk about this film. Before we do, can you give us a nice like little 
synopsis of this film, like set up, set up what Mission Impossible is, Nathaniel? Well, uh, Mission Impossible is uh, begins with the IMF, who are a kind of spy team uh, led by Jim Phelps from the TV series, and they're given various tasks of which no other government organization is seen to be able to achieve it. <laughs> and they also have to pretend that they, they officially don't exist. They're like a sort of shadow organization. Because um, if they achieve their mission, they have to, uh, uh, or if any of them are caught or captured, they, uh, they are disavowed and you're not allowed to say you're part of the IMF. You then just immediately have to kind of just get put in prison or whatever. So they can be working even seemingly against their own government. <laughs> um, so uh, this one is that they're, that they're sent on a mission to Prague, uh, which goes wrong, um, leaving one member of the IMF, which is Ethan Hunt. And Ethan Hunt then uh, goes off on his own to try and prove his own innocence. And um, and mainly his motivation is that they're trying to set up his parents <laughs> as being part of a, a huge drug deal. Uh, <laughs> uh, Meth farmers, right? I think that's, that's yeah. what it transpires. <laughs> um, so he has to go around and sort of essentially solve the case by going even deeper undercover into various different um, sort of double and triple crossing try and work out and in the meantime essentially solve a mystery mm -hmm. of what's happened to his team and that element of it is the most satisfying bit about it mm -hmm. the bit of the time is always that you've created a you know you, you it's really a tom cruise vehicle and what you don't have in a tom cruise vehicle is a team yeah <laughs> you know you've got so so the it was always that how can we get rid of this team but they do it in such a neat way by um, giving them a team that doesn't appear to be a disposable team. Yeah, it does appear to be like it's yeah, yeah. every. It's like when you see him, it's like wow, this is a cool. You know, it is a cool team, and it's everyone off of. You know, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas was just off of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm -hmm. Everyone in it was like a kind of big deal. Yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah. you know, no one was. Um, it was a bit of a comeback movie for Estevez, and I remember, and and I know me and uh, Nick Helm often say that I remember being excited that Estevez <laughs> was going to be in it. Like we're both like, uh, oh, cool, and we and it, that, but that was the setup of it. It was very much like, oh, cool, because everyone likes Estevez. Yeah. The idea that he was like, oh, he's back. They've brought him back to be in the gang. Um, part of this ensemble, and he—I he, mean, spoilers, he isn't. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he very much isn't. He—he's kind of off in a really like gruesome way at the beginning, right? And it's, yeah, yeah. It's Estevez if you've as you've never seen him as well. He's kind of like bearded, a bit like scraggly looking. He looks like the archetypal kind of tech guy, right? He's kind of yeah. like looks like he might live in his parents' basement, like. And he 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 also kind of doubles up as the like uh, is it 
Q like substitute. Uh, almost, yes, yeah, yeah. Provides us with uh, Chekhov's chewing gum in this film. That, 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 yeah. That, that gets an amazing outing not once but twice in this film, which uh, for those of you who might not have seen the film, I'd be surprised if you, you haven't who are listening. You just have to, it's, it's kind of classic, like old school strips of chewing gum, but it's uh, green or, or blue and blue and red, right? And when you squeeze them together, you have, well, they don't really explain how long you have, but you can throw it against something, it will stick, and then it explodes. And yeah, it gets, it gets, it gets two outings in this film, which are absolutely chef's kiss. <laughs> um, and that's plot wise, that's kind of it. He just has to unwrap, he has to solve the initial, uh, but, but the, the, the plot is basically, becomes who's behind this who's behind this sort of uh destruction of his team mm-hmm. so what what yeah what you talked you talked about like the the writers on this film so obviously the the writers are robert town and um david kep and i know that brian de palma i listened to an interview recently on a podcast called light the fuse which is a a, a deep dive kind of mission impossible podcast and they spoke to brian de palma and he he said like as much of it is like Robert Towns involved like it's very much a, a David Kep script like the I think the studio and that didn't didn't want uh, yeah Kep on the job and kind of like went no Robert Towns got to be in this film Robert Towns got to got to be in it but like his ending of the film would have ended in the like uh, her baggage hold of the trait like his his kind of his, his end was going to be the reveal of ethan hunt and it would have been like i think there would have been a, a few more people like kind of unveiling themselves to be to do you know what I mean different people being different people and i guess like maybe the originally the original team were going to have been phelps's team and they were all against uh ethan hunt almost or something like ah, that. right you know? okay okay um, and yeah, like this, well, this film goes back even further because originally it was going to be a Sydney Pollock film. Did you, did you know that? I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's interesting. So yeah, I can only imagine what a Sydney Pollock version of this film would have looked. But that's what I mean. Like, there's something about it where the whole way along, it was quite a classy venture. It was never like a sort of big dumb action movie. It was always that there was a there was a lot of ambition for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Cruz was obviously keen for it not to be seen as um, something throwaway or even like a TV adaptation necessarily. He wanted it to be, or, or not that he didn't, he wanted it to be the best version of that. Like what's the best um, TV adaptation we can, we can make, you know, what's, it's not going to be throwaway at all. It's mm-hmm. going to be like quite high, high profile, classy people involved. Um, which, you know, um, I think the Palmer is someone who often isn't a very particularly classy director at all. <laughs> but I think, I think in the context of that and in the context of the person who made the untouchables, he really, like, I think in this instance, he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an interesting film. Like the big things I remember about it was at the time, Tom Cruise wasn't, um, which seems mad now when you think of him because of 
Mission Impossible and what that did for his career. Tom Cruise wasn't seen as an action star. Yeah. And I remember like at the time reading it, it was in Empire magazine. There was like all these big articles about how it seemed weird that there was guys like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible and uh, Keanu Reeves off the back of Speed was doing a film called Chain Reaction that year. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, a, a Christian Slater film called Hard Rain. And it was this idea, it's like, who are these like weedy guys doing action movies? Yeah, I guess Because about- it was still kind of unusual that your, your guys doing action movies would have been like, you know, Schwarzenegger, Stallone and Willis. And you've got yeah. like, and he goes now, like they're being, it's like almost replaced by these kind of, it was that sort of new man era. Mm-hmm. So it's like, these are the kind of sort of, sensitive young leading men in action movies I, I, and how odd that was i guess like bruce willis is almost like the start of that as well because like his first thing is john mcclain like his mm. first outing is a, he's not your archetypal action hero and then like i no. guess when it gets to like 96 you can almost uh throw in nicholas cage there as well because this is just before yeah, yeah. he kind of goes on his big like it, it just come off of his oscar for leaving las vegas and he's kind of what 96 would have been the rock and then the year after he kind of has that double header yeah, these on. these guys were like atypical uh-huh. action stars yeah. all these guys but it was that they'd it's it's like everyone had decided it's like we're not going to have arnie and stone anymore <laughs> we're going to have these this and i think it was just a sort of like the younger generation or that they that probably more likely someone like tom cruise who is very sort of savvy film star was aware that those movies made a lot of money. So you, like, he mm-hmm. should be trying to make an action. Yeah, and it, especially um, if, he can, if he can get in, like, on the production side of it as well, and kind of, like, yeah. a, a, a double paycheck, he's going to be, like, la- laughing all, all the way to the bank, right? And and for someone who was from that Brat Pack era, uh, Tom Cruise was always, he always sort of chased that kind of white adult drama money. He was not really, like, there were there weren't really... Tom Cruise films that uh, that up to that age that I would have wanted to see, you know, mm-hmm. as someone you know uh, in my teens, Tom Cruise wasn't making movies. Yeah, um, and the turnaround for him was probably something like um, Interview with the Vampire, when suddenly it was like, oh, that's a kind of interesting movie, Tom Cruise to make. Yeah, <laughs> I saw him as like he was almost like someone who was in quite what I would have seen as quite boring films at the time. He was, you know, he was adult drama before Mission Impossible. Yeah, that is Even like it's, it's like The Firm and um, A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. and it was all that kind of era. It was, it wasn't that I didn't really think of Cruise, Rain Man, even. You know, that kind of late eighties, early nineties Tom Cruise movies were kind of they were. He was, you know, he wasn't selling himself as being like a. A, a star for kind of teenagers in the way that someone like Emilio Estevez had. He was very much yeah. saying, "I'm selling myself to the same audience who go and see Harrison Ford movies." He, I'm not. He was chasing you know, that Oscar right as well because it was kind of like, yeah, he's like, "I'll work with Rob Reiner whilst he's on this absolute like storming like run of films." Do you know what I mean? It mm. kind of be like uh, roped in with yeah that, that amazing run that Rob Reiner had like. Is it Color of Money he did? Is that that's a Scorsese film, right? Like in the late yeah, 80s yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Which again, like I've never kind of, I, I will get around to watching it at some point because I'll have to for this podcast. But like I never thought, like I never even think of that as like a, 
a Scorsese film for one, and like just just mm. the the just seeing the poster of, of it, I'm like, oh, it looks it looks a bit boring. Like it's, a, it's like a pool <laughs> a pool movie, isn't it? It's about guys playing snooker or something. I'm like, oh, like, well, with a lot of these films, you know, I was wrong. Like, yeah, like, this. Yeah, yeah, like a few good like, men. It's really fun, right? It, 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 yeah, like, yeah. It seems like it's going to be like really stuffy, and then like Tom Cruise is like amazing in that film because he's like got this vibrant energy, and he's like, and he's a bit of a dick, right? He's this kind of like cocksure arsehole. He's like, I'm going to get it done. Like, I'm going to go into court and like fuck shit up, basically. And then yeah, so that would have been three. Uh, yeah, ninety three. But and, and you know I'm wrong, but like it was interesting that to me none of those films were appealing to me at mm-hmm. yeah. whatever I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like Mission Impossible was very much like yes, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, and it and it was, and at that time I think I kind of just started getting into Brian De Palma and knowing who he was and being really excited by. It. Mission Impossible as a concept as well, like that. Oh, I'm going to go and see this Brian De Palma Mission Impossible movie. So knew, knowing by that point who he was and what he did, um, and the thing I always think of it like, um, which I haven't said necessarily, but I think it's a great movie. I think it's. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't watch. I don't watch the others. I don't, like. I, I, and now, like they, you know, there's something they took a while to find their feet, and now they're really. They know what they are, Mission Impossible films. Um, but for my money, that first one is still, it's still the best one by far. And I still find it so entertaining. And that's, that's one of the things about it is how entertaining it is and how much fun it has with the concept. Um, the bit at the start where it has the first um, pulling off the rubber mask thing and, and knowing it was like a, a real tightrope or you know it could go either way that thing mm-hmm. with that audience and i remember thinking and when they did it i remember laughing but in a way that's like oh we all know <laughs> we all know like of course you can't do that anymore but they're going yeah we can we can do that yeah well, the, we can do that we can still do that the the film the, the way the film starts off as well obviously watching this through like a, the, the lens of the palmer it starts off in a very mm. classic De Palma way of being like, uh, like a fake out. It, it starts off yeah. in that body double or blowout way where it's like you, you feel like you're watching a mission, and then like you actually see the set kind of being like pulled away and the mask come off and stuff like that. And it's like, oh Brian, you've done it again. You've kind of like duped us into thinking we're watching one thing, and it's like, no, no, that's not the mission at all. Like this is the mission. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, Emilio Estevez is kind of like calling the shots of what they should be doing and stuff like that. And it's like, I was like, oh, that, that's fantastic. And like, back to Emilio Estevez's character, he, he, looks, he looks like he could easily like be in the same mould of uh, Travolta's character in Blowout. Yeah. You know I mean, he's got that like real schlubby looking kind of uh, vibe to him and stuff like that. And like, yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting, like what looking out for all those things that, that, um, absolutely Brian De Palmerisms. yeah it's not a coincidence either it feels like straight away it is like saying it's a De Palma movie it's not it's not a Mission Impossible movie except it also is yeah yeah, yeah. it does work I think from like minute one 
you're in you're in his hands mm-hmm. and you're not doing something that feels like you get to the end of it and sort of shrug and go well what's that got to do with De Palma I think it's yeah. like a De Palma movie all the way through well you, you I think not just visual ticks and kind of like um like story-wise and thematically it's very yeah. much the things that Brian De Palma is interested in this thing of like like you said like conspiracies and it kind of it, it could work really well as like a double bill with like blowout it's kind of like you've mm. got a shadowy figure somewhere in the background in a long trench coat and there's that scene near the end where like you can't see who the man is like going through the train and stuff like that and it's like that could yeah. easily be shots out of blowout when like jean lifko's kind of like like walks in about all over town and stuff like that and then there's like um like yeah the whole idea of like just being a spy i know that like there's a real famous story to palmer it's recounted many times about when he was really young his his mum was convinced that his dad was cheating on, on her and like uh brian was this kind of science whiz kid like knew all about like virgin and technologies and stuff like that like had a way with cameras and basically like hired De Palma to spy on his dad and get like photographic and kind of like uh, evidence of his dad cheating on his mum because like back in the 50s I would imagine it would have been like maybe earlier like uh, like as as a woman she felt like that's how I'll get a divorce. There has to be like photographic evidence. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> the, and, and yeah, and Brian was, Brian was made to do that. So it's like this fascinating thing that like, Oh, of course, eventually he's going to make an out and out spy film and kind of know, know what it really means. This kind of thing of like everyone stabbing each other in the back and who can you trust? Well, and exactly. Like that. And <laughs> such a bizarre, such a bizarre thing to get, a kid to do to their own dad (laughs) it's it's not it's not uh it's not surprised that not only would we see that repeated in his films but you'd see it repeated in all of his films yeah yeah, again and again and again and again forever you know for 30 years he's basically recreating this this sort of weird event that his mum's asked him to do of course you do of course you do (laughs) but you know everything like it's you know there's a there's one of the big premises, one of the big, um, we mentioned the, the chewing gum, but the other big uh, gadget that features in the film is like a sort of Google glasses that means that you can see what someone else is looking at. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this weird voyeurism thing where, and it's all built on this idea, but it's played for, it's played as spying. And yet it's all that same thing again, of voyeurism and, you know, mm-hmm. scenes of him going into parties and seeing what he's seeing through a tiny video camera that exists in this very small pair of glasses. Um, You do have that thing where, so you both have this kind of voyeurism and POV shots and things. So immediately, again, it's sort of super, super kind of De Palma premise of, you know, of all the kind of James Bond spy gadgets they might have. He's got one which is about, voyeurism <laughs> yeah 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 well there, there, there's loads of stuff you get like quite early on in this film again there's like surveillance footage and stuff like that it is all about like the kind of watchful eyes and kind of having like there's always like the tech guy who's kind of like and that that feels like the the the, the brian de palmer kind of like working do you know what I mean? working the control mm. board of like 
that the camera needs to go here, this, that, and the other. And it's like, you can imagine him getting excited about that stuff, but almost being able to, I don't know, there, there's an element of this film that it is almost about like filmmaking itself as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like totally. You, <laughs> really, really is. There's, but it also does something which you don't see, which is from the TV show. And I always think it's such a clever device. Um, even though I, I think the, you know, where I think TV is mocked and the reason why like people would sort of at that time as well, find the idea of them making a TV show into a film was that TV was seen as such a kind of lesser medium. Mm -hmm. And partly it was this idea that everything in TV has to be um, urgent. There's a real sense of urgency, whereas cinema was seen as something that could take its time. But this does this great thing that it takes from the TV show, which was the opening credits to Mission Impossible is always the theme and then you have the um they you know they light the little wick of the the bomb that sets off and then what you see is clips from the episode you're about to watch <laughs> and i and, and as a as a on tv that's such a neat device because it's telling you don't go anywhere by the way guys don't go anywhere it's gonna be an explosion there's gonna be an explosion, <laughs> gonna be an explosion. <laughs> and there's gonna be this happen there's gonna be a bit where someone takes a mask off and there's gonna be a bit where someone's in prison there's gonna be a bit where so it gives you like a little clip show of a tv show that you're going to be watching for the next hour <laughs> and it's really fun and i remember when they did it in the movie I, it was another bit where, like it was, it was a real, I enjoyed it so much because it felt like a real punch of the air thing every five minutes. It's like, almost like, as you're watching it, I found myself going, it's like, you, I, I remember thinking, hey, do you know what would be great though? If that's a rubber mask, it is a rubber mask. Brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, it takes all these kind of quite silly ideas from me. And, and, and that idea too, like, and, and even thinking, hey, you know what I'd do if I was making this? Film? Yeah, I'd show a bunch of clips from the film we're about to watch in the <laughs> in the opening credits, and they go, "Yep, we've thought of that. We're going to do that too." <laughs> so basically, shows you clips from the last thirty seconds of the movie in the uh, yeah. in the opening. Like after five minutes, you're seeing the finale in the Channel Tunnel scene. We're we're, we're seeing shots from that within the opening uh and it, and it's quite knowing because now people would say oh, well that's spoiling it isn't it and mm -hmm. it's like there's been a trailer out you know? oh yeah yeah yeah. When not like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not like you're going into this it's like we're only really showing you stuff that you kind of already know about mm -hmm. and we can kind of manipulate what you're seeing so as and it is it feels like that's a real it's taken from a tv show but when they do it it's so knowing that it feels like it's doing something interesting. It's like, oh, it's showing you the end of the movie. We're, we're being shown everything yeah, yeah. in the opening credits of the movie, which feels like it's completely breaking rules and like we shouldn't be this shouldn't we shouldn't be watching this. But I remember this all this stuff felt so exciting and such a great idea. Like it's exactly what I would have done because it's what you it's how the it works on the same principles as the TV show. Does. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't break any of that internal logic or any of that. It, it completely follows the rules of the TV show that you're familiar with yeah, yeah. and puts it on screen and says, that's how we've always done it. That's what Mission Impossible has always done. 
so why aren't we gonna why wouldn't we show you the the finale of the movie in in little clips in this sort of um you know title sequence yeah. title sequence it's gonna yeah. last like a minute and a half it's, just, it's really great it's such a great idea what's good about i still that? think it's pretty neat what i think is really good about that is almost like uh going to i don't know like seeing a picture of the, the meal you're about to order and it's like oh, mm. I'm, I'm 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 excited I'm, I'm excited about that but what what's good about this film it's not about like the end product of it it's about how, how the sausage is made like the journey you yeah. go because there's still like there's lots of moments like and i've said like it's been a long time since i've seen this film i've definitely seen it before but like there are moments in it yeah, there's certain scenes I kind of want to talk about. And one of them, I guess we should probably get into it now, is the actual, like, mission itself, which I, from what you said about the TV show, I guess would have been, like, the finale of the episode, right? Like, them yeah. doing the job. What's really interesting about this is, like, you kind of, that happens maybe, like, I don't know, halfway through the film, like, or not, not, do you know what I mean? Like two thirds of the way through the film. And it's like, mm -hmm. but when it starts to happen, because you can't, you get that bit where he recruits all the got, he recruits like the new team, uh, Jean Renault and Ving Reigns. And like, um, a, 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 an aside on that, apparently De Palma had written like actual uh, scenes of him recruiting the guys. So there would have been like a prison breakout for Ving Reigns' character and stuff like that, which like, kind of a bit like i imagine now like because this film is it's lean for the type of film it is what is an hour and 45 minutes yeah definitely yeah. definitely now would have been two hours 20 and we would have seen ving rames getting sprung out we would have i don't know i guess i guess they they probably don't show us what jean renault was doing because like what he was doing previously was working for Phelps anyway as a double agent. Uh, but but bearing the lead on that again is that idea that when going back to the cast, it's I don't think that that cast was in 1996. That was pretty much you had like the coolest supporting cast, yeah, of any movie. Jean Renault off the back of like Leon mm -hmm. and Ving Rhames off the back of Pulp Fiction, yeah as like the the other two guys that are going to team up with Tom Cruise after you've already jettisoned Emilio <laughs> Estevez and Kristen Scott Thomas, you know, it does feel like it was such a cool, like it, uh, that, when I was watching it, I was going that, that, that and I kept thinking that's, that's something which like seems to have been lost to history. Just how cool a cast this was in 1996. And it was an exciting, cast to see them all and the idea that they're part of like the kind of mission impossible crew if you're going to get a supporting cast that was it, that and that's and i guess that's the difference that when i was talking about cruise before mm -hmm. what this movie was was a really cool tom cruise movie mm -hmm. and that's what he'd never had before. yeah <laughs> it was like a super cool tom cruise movie mm -hmm. and it really sold him as a, a sort of an action star. And also that he's, you know, he's the guy in charge. But, like, this was, like, a cool movie. And, like, um, to, like, 17-year-old me, but I think, I think to a lot of people, people don't necessarily think of it that way now, but that was, like, a, mm -hmm. it was, like, they really did it. They nailed it, I think, by what they were trying to do and what they were trying to achieve. 
And what they're ultimately trying to achieve was make a franchise. Mm-hmm. And this film is like how they did it. They did it by getting the coolest people who were in films at the time and they made them the supporting cast, Tom Cruise, and put him in like an action movie. And it's a really good action. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what I love about the casting of Ving Rhames as well is the character he plays. Because I know like it was that they were very adamant for him to play like Against what you would expect of like the tech, like the kind of uh, all-seeing mm. eye guy, because he he like he's an imposing, like yeah. big guy, and then he's like this kind of tech, like yeah, tech wizard. He's almost he almost reminds me slightly of um, uh, Bear in um, Armageddon, like this kind of thing of like he's got this bravado to him, and like yeah, I I love that scene on the train where he's recruiting them both. And like, kind of says, uh, like very, very quickly wins them over by kind of calling their bluff by going like, "Oh, I heard you broke into like Na- the NATO system and stuff like that." And he's like, "I oh, like, uh, I don't know anything about that, but that was really that was that was a, that was a real whoever did that was really cool." And it's like you get that like yeah. knowing look between them. But in that scene, you obviously like what I was alluding, what, what I was going to mention earlier is the fact that. You get Tom, you get Ethan Hunt explain to them like what the job is going to be, and you get that great like uh, shots of the vault and like how it all works and stuff like that. And what what this film does really well and is quite refreshing to see is like after he's explained it, I don't even think they say like they're in. It's like oh, we're doing the mission. It's not like this hmm. thing of like a lot of films like the film would be then, however long it takes, a ten minute sequence or like a montage of them setting everything up it's like that ah, none of that matters like we've already established these guys are the best do you know what i mean they are they are, they are this crack team of uh special agents and they can do that they, they can just do it so it's like you don't need all this thing of like oh we're gonna get the the costume we're gonna get the the fight the fire the fireman costumes like she's gonna have to finagle her way into the building by doing this that and the other it's like they're just in the building and the mission's happening. And it's like, yeah. And it's still, when we get to that scene of like, I guess it's now, again, it's something that's been pastiche parodied and kind of is burnt into the brains of people who have seen this film, people who haven't of Tom Cruise rappelling down into that vault. I, as I said, I, I, I hadn't said like, I, I definitely seen this and like know how it's going to go because there is this franchise. But it was 5p, 50p. Do you know what I mean? It's squeaky bum time in that mm. vault. Like, just because of the, the way it's shot and the, we get an amazing split diopter shot when it's, I think it's at a Dutch angle as well where you've got the guy at the desk and the camera's pointing up and you've got Tom Cruise, like, hanging in the air. And it's just, like, really, like, oh, fucking yeah. hell, what's going to happen? <laughs> And it's, it's, it's the great thing that works in the movie, and it's exactly what you're supposed to do, what the premise of the thing is. It's a, it's a mission impossible. <laughs> it's, a, it's this thing. It's like you can't. It's like we've got to do this impossible task. Right. Let's do the impossible task. And it's the, uh, you know, where your degree of, of failure is huge and yeah. success is tiny. And, and you know, it, and, and to watch it all just played out. And it's... It's almost that even they, it's almost like in real time, 
they realize that actually, even though we think we want Cruise on his own, we do. The Mission Impossible is about a team. So they, they, they get rid of a team, then within like 10 minutes of screen time, go, do you know what? We need a team for this guy. <laughs> um, so like they get rid of it and then give him one immediately. Immediately, oh. he's got a team again. There's a couple of scenes before this I absolutely love. One of them is when um, Ethan Hunt is having that like discussion in the restaurant with yes, um, oh, what's his name? Like the kind of the agent. Oh who, yeah, um, it's not Killjoy. Kit- or, no, Kittrich. Kittrich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just like again, that is filmed <laughs> like a Brian De Palma film. Like it's yeah. just kind of weird, like. You wouldn't get that, I don't think, in other like spy films because it's like this, these low angles on the faces, and it kind of like the, it, it just feels so fucking tense. And it's like, even when like it's they, they first start speaking, it's like, oh well, even before he says like, I uh, that I I I I think you're the mole. It's like, oh, you're telling us visually that he doesn't yeah. trust him. Like Brian, like you're already telling us, what, but like to see that played out and like that kind of the finale of that scene of of the Chekhov's chewing gum coming into play, and like God knows how big that fish tank was for the amount of water exactly. that comes out. But I, 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 I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for the the, <laughs> I, the, the 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 logic was very much out of the window for me at that point. But now, yeah, that's it. it, it and there's. You know, and and from that point on, it, there's pretty much, you know, huge sort of action set piece following action set piece following action set. Piece. Yeah. Um, there, there's that great. I, there's that great moment at Max's when he goes to like do the deal, and he kind of says like, "You're going to put in that floppy disk, and it's going to be a dud, and they're going to be here within two minutes." And again, that is like when you get those like high angle shots of the the kind of team swooping in. It's like. This is a this this is like it's Brian De Palma doing this because it's again mm. it's it's shots you don't see in these films. It's like this kind of just weird, almost like CCTV angle kind of of this big like kind of grand foyer of the camera just kind of like panning over here, like they're coming from here, and like there's not a lot of like quick zippy like editing and stuff like that. It is all kind of like just all right. We're just gonna just going to play this out we're just going to like show you and then like the reveal that they're out of the room it's ah, oh, it's, it's it's real like punch the air stuff yeah 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 <laughs> and i think it is all like that i mean so you know the the big kind of finale that goes on for um 10 or 15 minutes it's mm-hmm. such a great it's one thing after another after another it's got a real like it, it, it does set up the idea like, yeah, it's another, you know, then you're dealing with, it's kind of impossible and he's going to do it anyway. It's, <laughs> it's that, it's that what the, you know, what the franchise ends up becoming is that, that last bit, you know, uh, especially when, you know, uh, you've got a helicopter, which is also going to go into a tunnel. Yeah. Is is that kind of like oh brilliant? And I remember <laughs> that being a kind of a real sort of pin drop moment in the cinema where you think, all right, I've seen I've seen this movie, you know that the helicopter's gonna hit a wall or yeah. it's gonna go over the thing, and it's like no no no, we're now dealing with 
a train and a helicopter and a tunnel is is it's a great it's a great and and the and the fact you've got that thing where you're then going between two two moving vehicles one of which is a helicopter and having to this sort of light sequence which is going to go between two moving vehicles is great it's such a <laughs> satisfying bit of like action and because it's sort of again it's because it crosses that line of doing something which is slightly too silly mm-hmm. but it does it with enough bravado that you go okay yeah because it just says oh we, we're doing it Who, who's that it's not it's who's that actor we get in the in the tunnel who's the train driver oh, like, david schneider yeah yeah who like as you mentioned earlier brian de palmer isn't good for comedy but that that moment i think it's that thing of like you get that leonardo dicaprio pointing at the screen moment it's like I know that guy, and you kind of like think like, oh, what? Like uh, the the it must have been like a thing of get me somebody who looks really British, like to yeah. Me, to I think me. I think at the time it's someone who they've gone. Well, what we really want is we re- we we want Mr. Bean. Yeah. We can't get Mr. Bean, and they've gone right. Who's who can we get to do this? Who's not Mr. Bean? And they've gone David Schneider, and they've gone. That's what we want. They 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 want Rowan Atkinson as as Mr. Bean, uh, playing a a train driver in uh, aboard the Channel Tunnel at the back yeah, of it, the train for some reason. At the back of the train, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that that whole bit, you know, the the bit leading up to it as well. The um, he goes up there, his jacket's blowing because um, you know uh, by that time. Um, what what uh, Phelps has got his like magical uh uh metal yeah, sticky yeah. things, suckers that he can he can crawl along a moving train without flying off and Ethan Hunt has to follow him by um just sort of crawling along, whereas he's at the mercy of wind and mm-hmm. and and just he's flying all over the place. It's just that kind of right, well he has to do it. So you have that scene where he has to you know, take his jacket off and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's great. It's just it like one thing after another, which is just it works so well. What and I was uh, I don't I love it. I love it. <laughs> what worries me about the Fast and Furious? Uh, the Fast and Furious? No, different franchise mm-hmm. that that has gone way beyond the uh, Rubicon of uh, logic and. Uh, normalcy is uh with with the mission impossible films i was discussing it with a friend of mine and he's he said like what what worries him and i kind of i have to agree with him is the fact that you can imagine tom cruise in like when it comes to the final one he'll be like do you know it'll be great to do as a practical stunt redo the train gambit the first <laughs> one or actually <laughs> do it and like, i have a feeling like that is gonna be the day when it is we read the headline tom cruise dies ab- aboard <laughs> high speed train through the channel <laughs> tunnel <laughs> helicopter explodes do you know what i mean it's like like he'll, he'll probably he'll probably fly the helicopter as well because i know he's got his uh helicopter license i recently heard a yeah an interview with uh simon Pegg, who said like he uh tom cruise wanted to show him like some 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 like edited footage they had for the new mission impossible and he just uh landed his helicopter in his back garden with a hard drive and went 
where's your laptop? Let me show you. And it's like, <laughs> the, guy, the, guy, the guy sounds crazy. So I think, yeah, Mission Impossible or Tom Cruise will end him trying to recreate <laughs> that, that, that. And I do, that I, like, I like that now. I, I do like that, that he's become this um, Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan, yeah. doing all his own stunts. I think it's, it's kind of great that he's doing that. And I think it is cinematic. When you see it now, it is, it is what the franchise has become. And, but it's interesting that as a younger man, when he's more reliant on stuntmen and CGI, but yeah. it, th- that works just as well for me. That, that, that action sequence is so well choreographed and so well realized that it, it's, it's terrific. And, you know, it's very satisfying when it ends. As sillily it does when, 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 you know, it ends with essentially the, the, uh, the propellers have become super sharp knives mm-hmm. that may be about to cut uh, Tom Cruise's throat, but stop just in the nick of time. And you, it's great. You get that really, like, for, for, what, what is this? It's like a 12 or like a uh, PG? Yeah, it would have been a 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, it's got some really, like, gruesome, like, you get that shot of, like, like we mentioned, we get Emilio Estevez, like, kind of, it cuts just at the right mm-hmm. time, but you see he's, like, going to be impaled on that spike. But then we see, like, John Voight's body kind of like yes. bounce along the floor for a couple of seconds and it's like yeah just it almost like, wants you to go we want to see he's a baddie and we need to see his face pushed into the tracks <laughs> yeah. of uh and you do and you go fair enough because he's <laughs> he's a baddie because it yeah. is that but also i think it's one of those things where they need to go he's not coming back so we need to tell the audience that's the last we're going to be seeing of him <laughs> they, they need to show something happen which is like he's not coming back from this don't worry so, so, but, but I think where you know Tom Cruise will put uh, his chewing gum bomb on a helicopter, uh, the blast explosion of which will propel him onto the front of a uh, a moving train. Uh, meanwhile, the helicopter that's just exploded is still coming for him, <laughs> and flying at him down the tunnel. He's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like, abs- what? It's so satisfying. It's really silly. But it's perfect. It's great. I love it. I I, don't, I I think that stuff works because of the stuff that that's led up to it, and it's kind of like you you get those more quieter moments. Whether and and it's still like exciting to see because after you get the mission, you get that moment where they're kind of and and like you mentioned about magicians in the original series, we get Tom Cruise basically like uh, for for that for that moment with the kind of floppy disks, and he makes it disappear. Yes, yeah. He's actually sleight of hand. That's like yeah. the, that was him doing his own stunts back in the day. So like, well, there's no yeah, other yeah. way to film this. So Tom Cruise like, don't worry, guys, I'll, I've got it. I'll load some sleight of hand. And then uh, from then, when we get that meeting with Phelps again, it's signposted to you, but it's great. Like the the, the way the shot is laid out when he's on the phone to uh, Kilrich and kind of like, is it London Victoria that that's filmed? It's uh, Liverpool Street. Liverpool, Liverpool yeah, Street yeah. Station. When when he's at the when he's at the payphone. You get that thing. It's like, oh, that guy in the jacket and the hat next to him—that's somebody important. Because the the way the shots framed, it's like, well, uh, I need to be paying attention to that guy as well. And then when it's revealed, like it's Phelps. Like, how did obviously seeing it as a seventeen-year-old and like that reveal of Phelps being alive? How did that hit you? Were you like, were you, were you shocked or were you like, I knew this was coming? Oh, I don't know. I remember. The next scene is probably the one where you get the um you get 
it all shown again from yeah. me. And I remember that being super satisfying. And again, even then being a bit like, this is De Palma. Yeah. You just get to see it all from that angle. And the the scene of him sort of spraying this sort of fake blood, but you see it from a completely different angle. And it also has that nice bit that because by that point he's um he's fallen for Claire, Phelps' his wife, that that when it gets to her bit, he denies it. So you're seeing it as as Phelps is telling you what's happening, you start seeing it not from Phelps' point of view. You get to see it from uh Cruz is suspected. He's put it all yeah, together. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, um, it's like a Sherlock Holmes not, almost thing of like, exactly. this must be, like, yeah, yeah. he's put it all together. So you start then seeing it from a different angle, which is Ethan Hunt has figured out what's happening. But when it gets to Claire, he's, he does this thing where he just keeps shaking his head because he doesn't want to, she's become this sort of blind spot where he can't believe she's involved. Yeah. So as soon as it, everything involving her becomes more like, no, it's not that. But yeah. it's definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely Phelps, isn't it? With like the detonator, because it like, shows a shot of her behind yes. the corner doing the detonator. Then it goes back and it goes, no, no, it must have been Phelps crawled out of the water, and, yeah, because like, it's like somebody must have had eyes that Ethan could see. And he's like, he must have been like down the bank and been able to see up to Ethan to press the detonator at the right time and stuff like that. And yeah, we get that great reveal as well. With um, again, you get you get things lovely signposted like. You get Jean Renault when uh, they like beat up that guard while whilst they're doing yes. the mission. He says like, "We we do we do we do no body count on this one." And we get the knife, and then like it's the knife that lands in the desk as yes. as they leave. And it's like when you get that reveal that it was him who stabbed Christian Scott Thomas. It's like it's the fucking knife. It's like oh yeah. Brian, you absolute fucking like you beauty. Like. It's all there. That's what I love about this. It's, it's, yeah. it's all there for you on, on the table. And it's like, I don't know, you, and it's done right that it's not like a Columbo where it's like, oh, we're shown how it actually all happened. We're still yeah. with Ethan Hunt, like kind of yeah. not quite knowing. But like if, if you're kind of savvy enough, you can, or if you watch it again, like <laughs> you can. And they reveal the that it's felt. Phelps is the guy. Phelps is the main guy from the original TV show. So it's it's this idea that he's become the super uber traitor, based on that idea, which is always quite a compelling one, where someone says like, where he says, "I get sixty grand a year," and it's one of those things where you go, "Oh yeah!" Like imagine like these guys that are doing these missions, including presumably someone like Hunt at the end, is getting. 60 grand a year to do a job where he's constantly uh, uh, putting himself at risk and uh, putting himself in uh, a situation that if he gets caught, he's not going to get anyone yeah, help yeah. him out. Um, and so all those kind of things where you think about those things go, oh, yeah, it's always really you know, compelling that this guy from the 60s who's been doing this job and has been doing it loyally for years yeah. and years just gets to the point where he says, I want to. I want to pay out. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's really good about the the reveal as well is cleverly the film is set up that like he could have died because it has done this whole thing where the whole team is and, and it's like bit like doesn't matter how big John Voigt's name was at the time like it's like mm. well Emilio Estevez has been off like Christian Scott Thomas has been off so like it's believable it's believable I think that's a good like kind of 
mm. fake out for it like that like yeah because yes, yes. and, and it kind of sets it up as well where it's like oh, it could be kill it could be um kill rich as well rich, yeah, yeah 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 and it's like and and i think you get that as well when it's the moving through the train and you see the jacket and then i think it goes to uh kildrich and he's got he's got the kind yes. of the trench coat on and stuff like that is it him and then like it's 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 not even it's not even him who's walking through a train it's uh it's ethan hunt as phelps so um yes one of the things i wanted to talk about and there's obviously there is that reveal with the masks uh this one is good because obviously they they must have done it that it's right up and like just some clever editing where it's like oh it's it is uh John Voigt until the last second. However, the the first mask that Ethan Hunt has when he goes to <laughs> that like on that first mission to receive the the knock list and kind of trail that guy. I wrote in my notes that he looks like Spike Jones in any of the Jackass movies when he kind of gets put <laughs> in prosthetics as like yeah. an old person. Yeah, no, it's um, and it's very obvious. It's not <laughs> fooling anyone. Yeah, but but, um, but I think there is something about the the bravado of it as well. That that's they're still doing this. They're gonna they're gonna do this thing, and it's. And all that stuff feels like it's a wink to camera. Like, it's like, yeah, we're going to do rubber masks. Like, you know, <laughs> like in the olden days, we're going to do. Uh, and in those ones, you know, you'd have, you know, be played by someone else, except for the last second, you'd have someone wearing a mask that would not, you know, would not fool anyone that they just feel <laughs> off for the last second. And you go, we well, didn't look like that a minute. <laughs> you look, you looked like the bloke. Like if you were wearing that mask, you you wouldn't fool anyone. But like, but the the fact they go for it anyway, I think is always like a real, like felt felt like it's it is it's it's really fun. It knows what it's doing. It's doing it up front and um, it's doing it like blatantly. It's saying, mm-hmm. "Yep, yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. We're doing all this stuff that you remember. We're not gonna, you know, all the things where someone has said, nah, "Do you think people would find that silly now?" It's like they've gone, yes, they will. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you do it with enough sort of bravado, you can just get away with it and just say, yeah, we're still going to do it. We're still going to do it, even though it's, uh, uh, you know, it's now the mid-90s. So in, in, in some of my, um, like, research for this film, what, one of the little facts I stumbled upon is that early scene when we get the the team around the table and Phelps is telling them about the mission they're going on. Oh yeah. Was a script note from George Lucas that that should be added in. It's kind of like a karmic retribution for that story of uh, <laughs> Brian De Palma seeing an early cut of Star Wars and going, nah, what is this? What is this guff? Like, I don't know what you're doing here. Like <laughs> the, the, the crawl makes no sense. Like, let me come in and rewrite that. And I think like that that scene is vital to kind of like set and to your point of like you at that point you're like, Oh, this is the team we're following for the movie, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. these are this is the team. Like li- like little did we know ten minutes later they would be all kaput. And like yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah, I love the fact that it was George Lucas who kind of like said to Brian Department, You need you need that scene in this film, otherwise it's not gonna work. He's right, yeah, yeah. 
And I think he does. He does quite a good job of selling that theme and the relationships within the team. And, you know, you've even got this idea that Emilio Estevez fancies Kristen Scott Thomas and you know that's all set up. And it's, of course, it can't go anywhere. None of these storylines yeah. can go anywhere. But it works because it's like, as an audience, it's just giving you the shorthand to go, right, I know who these guys are. I know this character. Um, uh, I suspect, given what you've said in this first, you know, all these scenes that you expect then to that, you expect that romance to play out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do expect all these things to happen, and it doesn't give you any of it. Like, it just, it's, it's a real, it's a perfect rug pull. A, a fun fact for that scene as well, when you watch it again, is Christian Scott Thomas couldn't make it for that shoot. So whenever she's in it, like, she's off in the corner. Like, it's just a single shot of her all the time. So just look out for that, because it's quite funny, like, watching it again, knowing that information, that, like, she couldn't be there. And it's like, I think there's, like, uh, a shot of her, and you can tell it's, like, a Tom Cruise, like, uh, double and stuff like that. Like, all her stuff was shot separately. I, 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 I love those little facts that, yeah, Brian De Palma has said definitely like that that is what happened it's kind of like when it was uh broached to him it's like how did you pick up on that and it's like now now watching it, it's like oh yeah of course and uh fact i remember from the time that is like is that it is the phelps character was meant to be played by peter graves who plays him in the tv show in the 60s oh, amazing and he um he turned it down because he he hated the idea that his character's a baddie and you think, I actually really respect that. Yeah. But he just like, you know, he could have come back for this big movie. But to him, that's his like legacy character. And he's like, oh, no, to me, he's not a baddie. So I'm not going to yeah. do the, the movie where he's revealed to be the villain. And, uh, and, and another thing with this film as well, we talked about Robert Town. Uh, his big thing for this film was he wanted to just ape uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, which I guess he oh, did. Right. He did do when he wrote the script for Mission Impossible 2 to some degree. Like, and it feels weird that Brian De Palma was really against it. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I've made a career of ripping off Hitchcock, <laughs> but I don't want to do it this time. This is my time to make a spy movie, Robert. Like, leave it out. <laughs> but I guess that's what, you know, not necessarily like Hitchcock, but what this film is. It's a real proper suspense thriller. It's a real, like, Builds it up so well, or I don't know. I, I do think it's a that application of the skills that the Palmer has kind of learned on other things. I think it's really applied well in this movie. To I, I, I think it's uh, I don't know. I think even it's hard to think of better um, like action movies I've seen in the past sort of twenty five years. Mm -hmm. yeah, this first Mission Impossible. I think it's um, I think it's a real underrated film. I, I, I love it. Well, do do, uh... do you think that it kind of like I don't know, like um, sets the stage for what um, what like a TV adaptation could be? Was this kind of like the first of its? Obviously, you mentioned the Untouchables, but especially like after this, you start to see a lot more, right? Yeah, I mean, certainly that stuff like Charlie's Angels and things mm -hmm. feel like that's that's kind of off the back of something like this. Um, there are a few that were kind of knocking around before often they would be um sort of pastiches or you'd have like kind of which i guess is still kind of how they've done it isn't it they often will do them as comedies now if they're gonna update uh 
um, a show from like a different era. Yeah, Starsky and Hatch um, or like Baywatch, like those movies. It's sort of Twenty One Jump Street. It's like, yeah, it's, I guess it, the other big one before this was uh, The Fugitive, which would have been the big kind of mm-hmm. big action movie that made a lot of mo- money. Um, um, I still kind of think Mission Impossible is probably the most successful. There were some good ones, things like Maverick. I thought was like a good movie, mm-hmm. but it does feel like. It's it's a slightly different because what this is what's smart about what Mission Impossible does is it it updates it, but it doesn't. It's only really things like it updates the the time period it's set in. It other than that, it makes a real point of saying the reason we're making this film is because it's a good TV show. Yeah. So it's it, it then it, part of its strength is how much it keeps, and it doesn't it doesn't throw stuff away. It's and I guess that's what you have to begin with if you're making it, and there's a reason you want to adapt this TV show in particular. There's probably a good reason why you want to do that rather than do or make a generic. Why doesn't why wasn't Mission Impossible called, you know, Spy, the Spy <laughs> People, <Yeah. laughs> whatever. You know, it's it's that it has its own like um, identity, yeah. Has its own identity, and it has this like, thing that works, and it is setting up. You know, get your team together. Uh, you're going to have a big. There's going to be a big um, action set piece, and it's and there's going to be. You know, you're all going to have to rob a bank. You're all going to have to do something crazy that yeah. you can't. You know, and it's it, they've kept that concept. And I guess that's how that's how you kind of do it, really. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I can't think of any other. Well, well, I mean, there's been since Mission Impossible. There's been Tons. billions, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. The Equalizer. It really was uh, one of the early punch. ones. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, as we start to wrap up this conversation, I want to know how many repelling Tom Cruises out of five do you give this film? Um, out of five, I give it. I give it four and a half Tom Cruises. Perfect. Maybe that's it not even being, maybe that's being too harsh. I might give it a five. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. It's... I think it also, like, I, the more I watch it as well, the more I really am like, yeah, they've nailed it. You have nailed it. And also it's great in the context that it came out. In. <laughs> it's got such a good, like, it's like you really nailed it. You can't be unhappy with that. You really, you've you've done it. That's exactly what a Mission Impossible film in nineteen ninety six should have been like, and it, they did it. Well, and it like, as as we mentioned, it works both as a Mission Impossible film, works as a spy film, like a spy action, uh, yeah, like action adventure film, works as a thriller, work and and like for 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 the um in regard to this podcast, works as a Brian De Palma film, and it's. Yes, yeah. It almost feels in some way like he would have been a little bit of a gamble at the time, somewhat, because, um, I don't know, obviously, like, 92, he did Raising Kane, which, for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, didn't do well at the time. It's kind of now become, like, uh, a re- like, do you know what I mean? Like, uh, revisited by a lot of people, and there's that, that famous... Um, 
like fan cut of the film that Brian De Palma signed off on that's like, yeah. oh, it's great, and like stuff like that. And then like Carlito's way, and it it feels like I don't know. It, it, he does almost feel like a a weird choice to be helming like a big yeah. studio action film, right? Especially at this I time. Think, I think that is. I think it is Untouchables is the real key to it. I think that's exactly why they hired him. I think he's the guy who did it once before. And it's like, well, let's get the guy who's done it. You know, yeah. let's see if we can do lightning can strike twice. <laughs> and it does. Amazing. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, as, as, as we, as, as we uh, end this episode, I always like to kind of uh, look upon a, a, a few questions regards to, we've talked about a few of these, but is there any more like, out and out Brian De Palma tropes that you can you can mention in this film. I've 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 got a couple of little moments to mention. Well, oh, that we haven't already mentioned. What were you thinking of? Well, I've, I I think the use of like light, like there's this blue haze that's like especially around the Prague shots that feels very like it, it it's reminiscent to the the sleaziness of Brian De Palma films and makes Prague feel like dangerous and sleazy to it. Mm. Um. And I just wanted to talk about, like, just mention the. So th- I think there's at least three split diopter shots in this this film. So yes, there's the the one I mentioned. There's that great one of Jean Renault and a, a rat. In, rat. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> in, in, in the vent. And then there's that great one where you've got the t- like the way the shot is framed as well. You've got those two guys speaking to each other about the the guy whose job it is to kind of like work in the vault and they're kind of like we're going to ship him off to alaska work him in a work him in a control tower he's never seen again and then it's done with the split doctor so you've got the guy like in the background kind of stood there looking all like like he's being told off by the by by the head teacher and yeah that's framed amazingly and a a perfect use of that that uh yeah that de palma split doctor so yeah we've got a tip our hats i guess to steve and H. Burrow, the DOP on this film. Um, and as we end this, Nathaniel, I must, mm-hmm. I must always bring it back to Francis Ford Coppola. But before I do, I need to know, does this film contain any nepotism? Obviously, the Coppolas are, are famed for nepotism. Even Brian De Palma's. I don't think so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> only nepotism you would probably have in a grand scheme of things is that Vanessa Redgrave's in it, who herself, her career, I guess, is she is is daughter of Michael Redgrave, isn't she? So, I mean, they're stretching it in that way. But, I mean, in this film, they are lucky to have her, and they know. Yeah. They're, they're kind of, um, Vanessa Redgrave still is that kind of, is almost like the icing of the cake of that movie, where <laughs> you've got, you've got like one of like the classiest um, actors of the year that you could possibly have had in it to play this sort of, uh, drug dealer <laughs> arms, very, yeah. arms yeah. dealer badass yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and she's um and she's great in it so i mean in that way it would be almost uh it would it would be doing her a disservice to say that but i mean i don't think so i don't think no, there is much in the way of nepotism can't think of anyone no there's no there's no like brian de palma uh casting uh, uh, uh uh, a girlfriend or a wife or anything like that. No, that we he's... don't really get, which we could have had in a film like this. We don't really get um, his any of his kind of uh, regular supporting cast or anything pop up. So there's no sort of even 
the Palmer he mates he's got into be uh yeah, there's no William Finney. Is it William Finley? No. Yeah, yeah. The, yes, the, the, yeah, no, yeah. We haven't got the Phantom of the Paradise prop cropping no. up at any time. You know, if he was, um, <laughs> if he'd been playing the uh, Emilio Estevez role, I probably wouldn't have fancied his chances. He'd been like, <laughs> actually, I don't fancy this guy's chances much. But you know, it could have been. That could have been. They could have just done it that way. It could have been like Charles Durning and William <laughs> Finley as these kind of uh, as the the other. Mission Impossible team or whatever, and then uh, yeah, then you could have brought back Al Pacino to be uh, to be uh, the Phelps character. Yes, yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah, because yeah, I guess they, they only ever worked with each other twice, right? De Palma and uh, Pacino. It would have been a nice, nice trilogy yeah. of De Palma <laughs> Pacino movies. Um, this is a, a flippant question I always ask: Is does this film contain any sexism? Obviously, Brian De Palma is. Uh, I, I I think wrongfully accused of being a sexist filmmaker, and I, I just I just I, yeah I flip I probably I should be flippant I, about yeah, sexism, I, I, but <laughs> it's always tricky with the farmer because I think there's I, I think in general it isn't, and I can see like he he made a point which I think it is quite an interesting one where he was talking about Nancy Allen I think and saying that listen it's scarier if it's her on a subway platform than it is some guy who's six foot five. Yeah. And you go, right. Okay. Yeah. So you can, it just, so to him, it's something like it's, um, the jeopardy is often escalated when it's, when you're using like a young woman to be the victim of a sort of stalk and slash thing. And as an arguments go, it's pretty, you know, I go, sure. I mean, you're right. I think I've also heard you suddenly, I've also heard him say that, uh, like he 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 likes to photograph. Do you know what I mean? He likes to photograph women in his films. It's I guess it would be that thing of like, why is like the Mona Lisa one of the most famous paintings? Like, do you know what I mean? That the artist wanted to paint a a, a woman. Like, there's something. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. It would have been very different in Titanic if Jack was doing a pencil sketch of um, like roses boyfriend do you know what i mean he, he, like, there's yeah, something yeah. <laughs> there's something do you know what i mean there's something about it yeah. like, that that's a lot more appealing to 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 to, yeah. to, to, to film a woman it's like hey brian de palmer is an unashamed red-blooded male who likes what he likes and i feel, I feel like you can't yeah. really knock the guy for that is it i mean it's funny that there's not i wouldn't say mission impossible is a sexist film no? but it is like they're the you know there really aren't that many women in it considering you know, mm-hmm. it's you know, even the people who are in the main gang, like, you know, this Kristen's got Thomas character. We don't we see a lot of her. Claire, who I guess is the main sort of female character in it, isn't doesn't really have a lot to do, you know. So it does and and she she's in the narrative all the way through, but doesn't you know, other characters are brought in to have more interesting side stories. Yeah. Rather than kind of giving her more stuff to do, I guess. But I don't, it doesn't, it, nothing about it strikes me as like, well, it's sexist. No, it's just... I, I, I guess it subverts something as well of having Max as a female, like kind of... Yes, yeah. Like, uh, it, it, even if it is a kind of straw man villain yes. in, in this piece, it's like still subverting that thing that it could have, it could have easily have been a number of like either prestige old school character actors or kind of 
Yes. I don't know. It could have been like a Peter Storm Edge. You know what I mean, he was kind of yeah, exactly. storming up the 90s as, as, as the go-to Russian villain or something like that, kind of yes, an East, yeah. Eastern European bad guy. Um, so let's look at how this film compares to Francis Ford Coppola at the time. So the film <laughs> <laughs> we are looking at in 1996 is Francis Ford Coppola's Jack. Uh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, so... so I, 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 You go. Well, you go. Oh, well, well, here's the thing. You'll probably know. You'll have done your research on this more than I have. I would... When, when this film came out, Francis Ford Coppola it didn't feel like... He felt almost like a spent force. Mm-hmm. And Jack felt like, what on earth is this? What was, so just before Jack, he would have done... What would it be? Would it be Godfather Part 3? I know, before I think Jack just even? before Jack would have been uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, yeah, of course it would be. Of course it would be. So there it's weird because there it's still, that still to me feels like that's part of his, um, that's part of his big movies. Yeah. <laughs> but that's probably the end of it or, yeah, yeah. So that would have been the last of it. And then, so I guess Jack, Jack even at the time felt like a, like, oh man, look at this! <laughs> like, like it felt like not only was it like a bad-looking movie, but it also felt like really this is like the new Francis Ford Coppola film. But there was nothing in between. That's interesting. So, and I know that he, I mean I've I've heard it said that this was this, this was a project that he was really desperate to do as well. Yeah, um, his reasoning for doing it is like. From reading the script, he was really won over with the fact that he 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 suffered from polio when he was really young, and like could could really empathise with the character of Jack feeling like ostracised because of this fit like this thing they couldn't control that made them feel different, and it's almost talking about the fact that he had po- like like he had polio. It's like we'll just write that story. Write, yeah, a, yeah. write, write, write like a semi-autobiographical story about a kid with polio. Like that, that sounds a lot more like kind of heart-wrenching and something that you would want to watch than a film about. Like one of my lasting memories of Jack is a group of kids farting in a uh, a coffee tin, passing it round, and it's and, and Robin Williams there as well. <laughs> I I have like. No real, like, I'm yet to cover it on the main podcast, so, like, yet to revisit it. But, like, I don't, I don't have, I don't remember it. Like, I think at the time I was like, this is great. It's Robin Williams. I, I don't think time is going to favour that film at all. No, no. No, yeah. Well, in comparison to that, I mean, the Palmer's nailing it, and he's a, uh... Is way out ahead, which is funny, and it is it is always interesting. Which I guess is partly what you're finding out is the relative kind of um, overlapping of who's doing okay and who isn't. Mm-hmm. And there's an awful lot of this period where the Palmer won't be doing anywhere near as well as uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, nor would anyone have considered him in the same um, league almost because he's doing. <laughs> something different and yet you know it's certainly you know i watch the palmer movies all the time mm. in the way that i don't watch 
Francis Ford Coppola movies all the time, and even the kind of really good ones feel like they're a bit more special. So I don't, I probably save them up a bit more and don't watch them as regularly or <laughs> don't, yeah, that's something, certainly something like Jack is, uh, you know, I'll never see Jack again. I <laughs> well, I, I think there's an argument for Brian De Palma that like he kind of went the longest of doing exactly what he wanted to do to a degree mm. and kind of like, all intents and purposes, it's still going. Like it's only, it was only yeah. like, what, like 2019 that he put out his last mm-hmm. film. Like, and I know he's like over lockdown. He released like a book. He's got another book in the works. I'm not sure whether that's going to be like him, but like, he said in like yeah in an interview from last year that like if he could like he'll he'll do another he'll do another film and it it feels yeah. like him doing another film still... is a lot more achievable than Coppola in a way because Coppola's well he's supposed to be doing his kind of absolute dream project but that sounds like it's going to cost hundred like hundreds of millions of dollars to kind of do this Megaropolis film that he's ever wanted to do. Whereas okay. Brian De Palma feels like you can kind of give him, do you know what I mean? Like a, a, a box of buttons, a, a camera, and a half decent cuts, and he'll pull something out of the bag that at least is going to have. Yeah, I mean, something. It, and those films still feel like he's still making Brian De Palma. <laughs> yeah, and like everything, I watched them all. Um, I've watched everything over the past few years, like chronologically, to yeah. try and have a. And I've not really done that with anyone else, just to have a a real overview about what they've done in the order they did it in. And I'm I'm always struck by, even at the end, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a real De Palma movie. I mean, <laughs> a lot of them aren't very good by the end. Yeah. But you still got to go, I mean, it's still, you feel like he's done exactly what he wanted to do. This is still like, if it was, if it had more money, I'm sure it'd look better, but it doesn't. And it looks like this. <laughs> no. Stuff like, even like, you know, Redacted feels like a Brian De Palma movie. Yeah, they all feel like they all feel like Brian De Palma movies. Domino feels like a Brian De Palma movie. Passion, but it's yeah, yeah, just, yeah, you know, it's just not it's not good, but it feels like a De Palma movie. <laughs> yeah, it almost feels like for him, if if the the Black Dahlia didn't tank as much as it done, he could have been making slightly bigger budget Brian De Palma movies than what he's making mm. right now than, than what he kind of made after that period. Do you know what I mean? That well, was... I had a little theory kind of, I guess, related to Mission Impossible is that Mission Impossible is something he's done. Um, he's taken that on as a sort of work for hire, but he's produced this Brian De Palma movie to mm-hmm. do Mission Impossible. And it's, and he follows up with Snake Eyes, which is a Brian De Palma movie. It's very Brian De Palma-y. Yeah. And then after that, um, he's made enough money, but someone says, will you do Mission to Mars? He does it as a favor to someone at a studio. <laughs> and that film flops so much that he, he's never really allowed to do another film. And in my mind, I keep thinking, but that's the one that you're, like, you did that as a favor. Yeah, so surely yeah. you're owed now, aren't you? <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if that didn't do well. You're doing someone a favor. Yeah, yeah. Like that you're helping them out. You're <laughs> you're brought into that because you're the guy who did Mission Impossible. It's like, oh well, if we say it's the guy who did Mission Impossible, we can kind of get this away. It's got but mission like, in the uh, title. Like, get him on. <laughs> yeah, I mean I and I always feel like that's the Mission to Mars is the beginning of the end, I think, for 
uh, De Palma, which is a shame because he's sort of also, a, in a way, he's making his most expensive movies. He's probably at the point where he can make anything, but he's squandered that to make a film for someone else. Yeah. That's what it feels like. It's like, oh, imagine if you'd just gone, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I'll do. Or they've gone, hey, he actually did as a real solid making Mission to Mars there. So we're going to bankroll whatever your next thing is because you did as a solid. It just feels like that's the, rather than going, oh, well, that failed. So we're obviously not going to give you any money anymore. Whereas it's like, but that's a favor. He did you a favor. <laughs> well, you, can't, you can't let him down now. What's interesting that uh, I guess Jack could be seen as that for Franz Ford Coppola in a way. And it, it's interesting that I think both of them are touchstone films. So it's mm. like that. It's when, when you get in bed with uh, the, the mouse over at Disney, mm. that's when like you, you, the, the kibosh gets put, put on your career after that. It's like you can still make films, but they have to be like youth without youth or tetra yeah. or, or you know, twix they can't be they can't they, they can't be bothering yeah. too many people <laughs> but i think you even knew that like it feels like i mean maybe i'm misremembering it but it's almost i remember like jack coming out and almost it it felt like well, i guess that's the end of uh you know it, or it no longer felt like francis ford coppola was like a big director anymore mm-hmm. It's like, oh, right, okay, so that's... And then after that, he was, what is it, the Rainmaker and stuff? Oh, the Rainmaker's so, yeah. like the year after, yeah, so a very quick right. turnaround of being like, I need to, I need to, make, I need to make something good. Or like, and then that's <laughs> it, or, or, or you need to make a, you know, uh, which at that point, your John Grisham books are a franchise, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, I'm going to do this, because that'll make money. And I'm yeah. sure it made decent money, but, like, he was never going to... It was never another, it's just a big Francis Ford Coppola movie. Definitely, definitely. Well, that's the end. To 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 end this, uh, like we've obviously given our opinion that uh, De Palma had a better year. Let, 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 let's look at the numbers and really, really put this to the test. So, as I mentioned <laughs> at the beginning, the bo- the the budget for Mission Impossible was eighty million, and the box office was four hundred fifty seven point seven million dollars. The budget for Jack was forty five million dollars. Box office is fifty eight. Point six million dollars. So, even the numbers tell us that Francis Ford Coppola did not have a good year, and Brian De Palma wins nineteen ninety six. He deserved to win it. Though. He deserved to win that. Definitely. Well, Nathaniel, thank you so much for coming and um, yeah, having a little look at the films of Brian De Palma uh, with me, especially uh, Mission Impossible. My so. Pleasure. Where could people keep up to date with everything you're doing, whether it's a list off? I know you and Nick Helm have said that something is cooking in regards to, to you two still chatting films. I, I hope that is yeah, the case. Yeah, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. <laughs> uh, so I guess the best thing is we'll follow me on social media. So I'm Nat Metcalf on Twitter or I'm Nat Metcalf Comedy on Instagram that anything we do will be on there. And I think all that stuff is is supposed to be happening now. There's either, you know, <laughs> if I if I hadn't had COVID, I suspect it might have happened a bit sooner than it might have done <laughs> now. Uh, but, but, yeah, so we're, we're planning on doing something similar, which I guess will now be, if not Christmas, the new year will be uh, well, doing something similar. 
this will be going out in january so so, so okay. hopefully, hopefully there'll be you'll, you'll be able to I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes and people will be able to be like oh, i can listen to that new nathaniel metcalf and, and, and nick helm podcast or whatever yeah, let's it is. Do that. amazing again thank you so much nathaniel thank you for having me loved it there you have it brats and bros unequivocally brian de palma had a better 1996 than francis ford coppola but we all knew that right um i don't know maybe you're an ardent jack defender and uh you're thinking nah france ford coppola had a much better year but the financials speak differently the legacy speaks differently we haven't got jack rogue nation by now we haven't got jack fallen we're not yeah we're not we're not anticipating jack seven right now as we speak like we are mission impossible uh, massive thanks once again to nathaniel metcalf for joining me and thank you so much guys for listening you're the real ones you're the patreon gang uh, i love to have you here and i hope you're not going to cancel your subscription by the time the next episode comes out in two weeks which will be with the fantastic mary wild where we will be talking all about raising kane the john lithgow starring absolute mind melder we'll be talking about both cuts of that movie and mary is possibly the best person to talk to she's a uh, a, a freudian cinephile so she'll probably come at it with all that kind of uh, freudian readings and all that goodness so yeah very much hope you join us for that chat in two weeks time so as always i've been petrus pat syllabus i've been movie bratting and i've been broing so remember to keep it movie bratting with the bros and i'll catch you next time planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365 day returns Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 